Good morning and welcome to Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, we're going to be telling you guys part two of the Joe Stock story with Lee and Cherie joining us. So grab your fire department coffee and let's dive in. Obviously, her car was missing, and you mentioned maybe some clothes. Was there anything else missing from the house that you two know of? No, nothing. And the clothes... I don't know of anything else. No, the clothes that were allegedly missing were never found. Okay. And then one other thing I saw on the website that I was curious about was a newspaper clipping that was found on her couch that um, potentially didn't belong to them. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, they... There was a newspaper um, that was found basically like smushed down the cushions that had uh, blood and fingerprints on it and a plastic bag that was found in the upstairs sink, I believe. Um, and they believe that they... Yeah, think in the bathroom. Yeah, and they believe that they um, that whoever came in bought those items with them. So to me, I was kind of like, okay, so who's walking around with a newspaper in a plastic bag? That I thought was quite random. But it also... Something that wasn't um, so much public knowledge was that the house was on the market at the time. So they had, um, I I think it was a lockbox on the front of the house so that you could get the key and go in and and view the house because it was on the market. So to me, I was like, well, I asked Joe and I said, you know, was it ever explored that it could have been a random killing? Somebody could have come along and said, hey, you know, I want to view the house and she let them in. Has anybody thought of that? You know, he's walking down the street, he has his newspaper in his bag, he's, you know, like a opportunist type thing. Was that ever explored? And he was like, no, not really. But obviously we don't know what was explored and what wasn't, but there was nothing that was made publicly aware. But I, I didn't even know about this lockbox. That's a very interesting point, especially since at that time, I would imagine the house listing might have been in the newspapers depending on i don't know the contents of that newspaper but that's a really interesting point yeah see that newspaper could have been exactly that house for sale they've looked at it gone there opportunist they may have gone there to rob it they you know we we don't know we don't know motives and stuff but i just find i just found it really really strange that there was no forced entry but there were ways for this person to get in especially in, in the 90s, I mean, now we lock the door. We don't let anybody in and stuff. But back then, things were different. Things were different. If somebody needed to use the bathroom, you'd let them in the, in your home. If they needed to use the phone, you would let them use use the phone. I mean, now you wouldn't. But back then, you did. And I, I just thought, the house is on the market. The keys to the house are in the front door. Anybody could have posed as a potential buyer and been let into this house. Yeah, especially in a small townhouse, you know, suburban community like that. You know, it wasn't like it was a dangerous area, so to speak. Quote, and it so. was the end house as well, right? Next to the lake and everything like that. So it was quite secluded. It wasn't like right in the middle of everybody Would have else. been a desirable location. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just another example of how investigators and police just didn't really look into any other potential avenues. They, I feel like, just had their mindset on Joe and just locked in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, can you remind me the murder weapon, the knife? Was that ever found? I don't think it was. I don't think so, was it? No, I don't think it was. Okay. Do they know if was it a knife that had been at Connie's house 
Like, was any of her stuff missing? Do you know? Or do you think... Or is it, like, led to believe that the killer brought that with them? Again, that's not something that, that, that I'm aware of. I don't... Because nothing was missing from her house. As far as, as far as I remember, nothing was missing. Apart from the brother's clothes and um, the car. That, that was the only thing that was missing. So, not, not that I'm aware of. Well, because, I mean, typically if the murder weapon is brought to the crime scene, then there's usually, usually some sort of pre-planning. It wasn't like there was an argument and they got in a fight and just grabbed a random knife. You know, they brought a knife for one reason or another with them. So I was just curious if um, you knew if it had been found or anything. We were talking, um, by the way, about the fingerprints in the house, too. And, um, you know, along with the fact that none of the DNA was actually matched to him, um, the fingerprints that they did lift from the house that was on that newspaper, that was on the phone, on the do- on the paper bag, on the door the ones that they found around, they did confirm that the fingerprints did not match anyone in Connie's family, but they also didn't match Joe. Yeah. You know, which is just further evidence that there was probably somebody else there. But they were never run against anybody else. Which, to me, yeah, I'm like, never, hang that, on. never even checked. You're at a crime scene. You have this poor girl who's been brutally murdered, and you have fingerprints in blood. They don't match the ex-boyfriend, so uh, never mind. Like, how, how did... How is that... Right. How is that right? This this person has left behind evidence and, and they're not even going to run it. They're not even going to check. I will say, and, you know, I'm happy you guys reached out because this, Erica and I, we, we do like to cover wrongful convictions a lot because it is, especially, I mean, this is like poster child for a case where it's like, what are we doing? Why why is the police going this route? Why did it go to trial and end up the way that it did when there's such a lack of evidence and such like so much reasonable doubt? And so my question for you two, I guess, is why do you think the jury ended up going the way they did? I personally think peer pressure. I think that it was a case of we need a verdict, we need a verdict, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Because in during the trial at the end i think when they were handing down um their verdict i think it was the judge that said do you all agree to this and and there were several jurors that were openly sobbing like they were they were really really upset i think it was peer pressure i really do because there's so much to it as well that was twisted and turned and there were so many things that just didn't add up but they were trying to mix them. So Joe told me um, yesterday, actually, we was having a conversation about, is it Michael Pope, the friend who said that he had said, oh, you'll never make it to Texas. Joe said that, you know, it went out there and it was portrayed that she broke up with him because he was controlling and wanted to move to Texas and stuff. And he was like, actually, I initiate the breakup because he had been talking to another girl. Uh, he said they were just friends and that, Connie had rang this girl, called her names and, and whatnot, but later on had rung her back, apologised to her and had spoken to Joe. And Joe said to her, if you're going to be this jealous, then, you know, we shouldn't be together. And he said, we were a young couple. You know, we did that. We argued and, and whatnot. And then later on, um, she paged him or she called him and they had a conversation. And she she said to him, well, I'm going to Texas uh, you know, I'm going to start a new life in Texas. And he said, you're never going to make it in Texas. You can't even make it in Illinois. You don't even go to work now. And he said, you know, 
we used to smoke, she'd sleep in, you know, call in, call in to work, she wouldn't go to work and stuff. He said, that's what I said. And then it was changed to, you're never going to make it to Texas. You know, and, and, it, and it's like, if you're putting that to a jury, you're going to hear that and go, oh, that sounds a bit nasty. He also told me that Connie and Michael Pope, the day before she was murdered, called the police on Joe because they were, they decided they was either going to key his mum's car. Uh, this is all admitted by Michael Pope. Uh, they was either going to key his mum's car or they was going to ring the police and tell them that he was a drug dealer. So they actually made a false police report the day before she was murdered. So things like that can be really twisted. So I do think when you're faced with a crime scene and it's put to you as, you know, they know what they're doing. To the jurors, these people know what they're doing, especially back in you know 1997 we didn't understand what dna testing was it was all quite relatively new back then so you know the 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 public as a member of the jury you would hear these things and think oh well they must know what they're doing so i i, I genuinely think things like half of the conversation on the phone being heard the shoe being torn apart and shown to them that we found his fingerprint in the car that those kind of things i think the way that it was portrayed to them was very one-sided and very much made to look like he did it i don't feel like he had a defense you know also i think there are also factors in that in a small town like this where there's not a lot of like severely violent crimes like this one there probably was at this point three years later pretty decent demand for just you know getting this solved already we want to know that we're safe and that could have also played into it too i would be very interested to hear from one of the jurors that served in his trial nowadays just to see if once they like after the trial had ended if their minds had changed at all or if they really felt differently because obviously you can't really do any of your own you can't do any of your own research if you're on the jury so they were only like you said getting really half the story and that's all that they had to go off of. And it was the half of the story that definitely went against Joe. Yeah, I would absolutely love to interview a juror now. I, I really would. Just to, just to have a conversation and, you know, look, not, not being biased, but actually look at the evidence now. Do you feel like he was served justice? Do you feel like he had a fair trial? Do you, you know, did you feel like he was guilty at the time? Do you still feel like he's guilty? So, yeah, I would I would love to. Would you like to talk about now um, a little bit about the Innocence Project's involvement and Kathleen, is that right, Kathleen? Kathleen Zellner. Thank you. About her involvement with the case now? You know, Kathleen Zellner, originally he was being, it's my understanding that he was being helped by the Innocence Project. They had picked him up in Illinois um, and that eventually um, Kathleen's office took it up, took it up as a pro bono case. Um, and Sheree, please correct me if I'm wrong about any of that. And once she took it up, the Innocence Project kind of stepped back because just conflict of interest. You can't have two lawyers working on the same case. Um, and since then, you know, she has sent out letters to, um, in fact, I, I believe that we sent you a copy of one of her letters to the Conviction Integrity Unit um, saying, hey, we really need to reevaluate some of this stuff. You know, we had an alibi that wasn't looked into. The DNA evidence wasn't tested. The hair evidence didn't match up. The fingerprint evidence didn't match up. And she actually got a response from the Integrity Unit saying, yeah, this has a lot of the earmarks of a, of a wrongful conviction. This absolutely should be checked. But then there were all kinds of issues in that, um, in one case, I think that the entire sample had been used the original time, and part of it couldn't be retested, and then, um, you know, conveniently. 
or inconveniently, however you want to look at it, depending on what side you're on, you know, and uh, and just the process in general, they're still trying to fight for a lot of this stuff to be fully tested, to be fully looked into, and it hasn't been done. It's a very slow process, but they're just working very hard to try to get him at least a retrial. Yeah. they you know, Because there was just a lot of stuff that was left out completely. They actually uh, did retesting because of Kathleen Zellner, because she was in touch with them, and because... You know, the integrity unit said, yeah, this does look like a wrongful conviction. However, it still took them over three years to test some DNA. It doesn't take three years to test DNA, but they dug their heels in and they lost a lot of evidence. They lost a lot of paperwork. And um, yeah, and like Lee said, they used whole samples and then said, oh, well, we've got nothing missed. And then they would come back and, and it would be inconclusive. So you'd use the whole sample and then come out so it's inconclusive. We can't prove either way. That doesn't help. In any way, it doesn't help because it doesn't prove his innocence. It doesn't prove his guilt, but it doesn't prove his innocence, which is what we need. So Kathleen Zellner is fantastic. Um, her, her, her lawyer firm, um, I mean, she, she sort of became famous due to making a murderer. I'm sure you guys have seen that or, or know of that. Um, so she, she will only take on cases that she deems innocent and obviously you know in a world as big as we we live in with the amount of people that are claiming wrongful convictions for her to actually take on a case it it, it means big business the same with the innocence project they will not take on a case that they do not believe is innocent and they won't actually take on cases that don't have dna they, if they've got DNA evidence to put them at the crime scene, then they, they won't even take it on. So, obviously, there's no DNA connecting Joe. So, he's, he's had some very good people work for him. The problem is nobody knows about him. Nobody knows about this case. Nobody's ever heard of Joe Stark. So, I think that's why they can kind of be slow with it, why, you know, Kathleen Zellner is, is, is working to get it done, but there's not enough out there. There's not enough pressure on them to get this done. I also I also want to say though that the whole inconclusive thing could you know even if it doesn't prove his innocence um, in theory I feel like that should work in his favor too though because the whole idea of how our justice system is supposed to work is innocence until proven guilty if you can't prove he's guilty he's not guilty if there's a shadow of a doubt he's not guilty you know it doesn't you know the task of the defense is rather the task the task isn't to prove innocence the task is to prove guilt yeah. In the standard trial. But the jury actually asked for clarification during the trial of what beyond a reasonable doubt meant. They asked for clarification because they wasn't sure. But unfortunately, in the eyes of the law, they've deemed him as guilty. So the only thing that we need to do is prove his innocence. The really unfortunate thing about them having used full DNA samples is with all of the progression that has occurred with DNA... Like, the stuff that came back inconclusive, you know, 20 years ago could most likely or highly, potentially, whatever the words are, direct to who killed her, who actually killed her, though, because of all of the progression. So it's kind of, that's a really unfortunate thing that happened in this case. Yeah. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. 
So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. I just find it really hard to believe that a uh, crime scene as brutal as this only has her blood there, only has her DNA there. I find that really hard to believe. And, I mean, they found a hair on her, which they tried to say was Joe's, but it wasn't. It belonged to a dog. And even when they knew that it belonged to a dog, they still tried to say that it belonged to Joe. And actually, his defense argued that one out and got it off because he was like, but it's already been testified that it belonged to their dog. Um, but, yeah, exactly that. But even, even the fingerprints... If they were to run those fingerprints in today's database, who knows? This person, who these belong to, could have committed other crimes, could have done burglaries, could have gone on to murder somebody else. So if they were to just run the evidence, if they were to just take another look over it, fresh eyes, fresh system, and actually go over it and look at this case, they may see that it's completely different. They may find it just by running a fingerprint. Or somebody's memory, somebody's memory, somebody who, you know, was friends with friends of them, you know, Joe's friend of a friend could have heard something from his friend of a friend. You know, people people would talk, you would hear things back back then and, and you know, you would just sort of sit on it and rest on it. But it's 20 odd years later, people who are adults now, we've got families, we've got children, we've, you know... There's a, a guy sitting in prison for a crime that he did not commit. There's nothing tying him to it. And if people do hear his story, hopefully it will jog their memory to say, wait, hold on, this this isn't right. This isn't normal, you know. And maybe we can get some sort of relief or at least get a retesting of some more items that they have. Well, and I want to, you know, go ahead and take the opportunity of you saying that to just say, at least to Erica and I, and I'm sure everyone who will listen, it's so important that you two are being advocates for Joe and trying to get his story heard. And like you mentioned, the reason, probably a big reason that nothing's happening is because it's not getting that big attention that it should be. And so, um, I mean, I really appreciate that you guys are doing that. I'm sure Joe does a lot more even, but um, it's really great. It's good that, like, and I love too that um it kind of started out with you guys just being pen pals and talking and being like oh what's going on and it's it's great it's a great story to hear that like you guys are reaching out in that way it's really important and i appreciate it quite a bit yeah absolutely i had never heard of this case prior to lee reaching out to us on instagram which is crazy with all the research that we do looking into true crime and into wrongful convictions and everything. And I just never come across it. And I know there's many other cases out there that are like this, where it's just not getting the attention that it needs. And so that's, so yeah, we are very grateful. Like Abby said that you guys reached out to us. And I, like she said, I'm sure Joe is also very grateful because this is important to try to get the story out there for him. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you, you know, you, you helping us and listening to us and, and making this podcast for him. For the listeners, um, where, where can they go to find out more information and what can they do to kind of help out? Well, we have, um, there is a website, it's freejostock.com. You can go to, um, a lot of the case information there, all the evidence alibis, um, there's a recording from the appeal that I mentioned earlier that's on there. Um, there's also a contact page on there that'll tell you how to get in touch with Joe. If you'd like to write to him, if you'd like to talk to him yourself, he'll definitely answer you. He's always happy to. Um, if you are, um, there is a method, he has a tablet that the prison provides that he can receive messages on. 
if you do message him that way, make sure you include a snail mail response because um, there is occasional issues where he can't respond via the tablet all the time to new people, so he might have to just write you back, but he will get back to you. That would be a good way to reach out. There's also a contact us button down there that would send an email to, um, to Sheree and I if you have questions about the case or if there's something that you'd like us to ask Joe or any other way that you'd like to support. There is a petition on the um, that's linked to you from the website that's going to be submitted to the Illinois governor to try to... Um, you know, get some clemency for him. But also sharing his story, talking about his story, um, you know, we're hoping that it may stir up some some old memories and, you know, if there's anybody that remembers Joe or remembers from this time, you know, we're we're hoping that by people spreading the word and talking that it will it will help in any way that it can. Yeah. We're in a very connected society now, so you never know what's gonna come up. And I gotta, I do have to say, because um, I was looking at the petition this morning, I saw that there was this goal of 1,000. I just pulled it up right now, and it, we're at 995 signatures on the position, petition. So five more, and we hit that 1,000, which is great. So I definitely recommend to everyone listening to go go check that out and sign the petition. And we're definitely happy to hit well more than 1,000, too. So oh, yeah. that stop you. <laughs> and as always, guys, we'll have the link to the website and the link to the petition in our description so you guys can just click on those to easily find it thank you thank you is there anything else that you guys want to say before we sign off here Cherie, i know you were going to talk with joe and see if he had anything he wanted you specifically to add did he have anything no he um he oversaw all of the website everything that we wrote um every everything his social media everything you know I've, i've built that with joe so he's very much like my information's out there. I just want people to read my story and make up their own minds and make up their own opinions. And, um, you know, I did say to him, do you want in, do you want me to put anything out there? And he was like, no, I just want my case to be heard. I just want a fair trial. And, and for people to actually start listening to my pleas. And that was pretty much all he wanted. He just wanted a fair chance to be heard out. But he's the nicest guy as well. It's crazy when you when you think of the the person that I know and the happy, friendly guy. He's, he's really, really funny. He's always doing impressions. He's always happy, even in horrendous conditions. Um, he's just such a nice guy. He's so he's so lovely. He really is. He loves his family. He's a real family man, and he, he's a real, real sweetheart. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't forget dates. He's, you know, if it's your birthday or you know, if you're not well, we always rings to check on you. And he, he's just such a lovely, lovely guy. And I just cannot put this person with this crime. And I know that he's had people reach out to him um, that he's been to school with and stuff. We've gone, wow, no, we, we can't, you know, put you with this crime. You just would not put the two together. I, w- I wanted to mention also that Joe has been, um, when he can, sending out blog posts to us that we've been posting on the social media and on the site as well to kind of share a little bit more of his daily life and his stories and thoughts um, so that he could communicate a little bit more directly with the audience that we're building. So it's another interesting aspect if you'd like to get to know, get to know him a little bit. Yeah, he's had a bit of trouble with that recently, though, because he's been moved to a new facility and he's not actually able to get any mail um I think he got a, a, a message from me today, but it took about 11 days to get through. But he can't respond to anybody new and he can't send out any messages at the moment. And he's been there for a little over two months. So it's a little bit backed up at the minute, but I, I've asked him to just put pen to paper and write it. So the blogs will will be up soon. 
And that's also why I was saying make sure that if you do write him, include a snail mail address so he can get back to you because he's not able to on the tablet at the moment. Well, we just want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with us about Joe and his story. And we're really glad to be a part of this where we can try to share more information and get it out there for people. For the listeners, if you guys want to sign that petition, I know it would mean a lot to Joe um, and I'm sure Lee and Shuri as well. So like I said, that link will be in our description along with the link to the website where you guys, you can go and you can look at that and it has everything in detail all written out on the website that Lee and Shuri have put together for you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.